Hi everybody, this is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. And uh, as Bob says, we have faces for radio, but here we are, we're <laughs> recording TV. So it's a little bit change up for our radio audience. Um, and we'll do the best we can because we've been on the radio for a while, but we are a One New Man Ministries. We're an Ephesians 2 ministry, and that's a ministry of reconciliation, Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles. And we really study the Old Testament from a point of view of Yeshua HaMeshach, that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and that we look at how understanding the name Yeshua and God's plan for salvation is revealed in the New Testament and concealed in the Old Testament. And we study the Torah portion every week and uh, an accompanying New Testament portions. For Ephesians 2:14, it says, for he is our peace in his flesh. He has made bo both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So Jerry, what are we going to study today? I want to begin today by going to something we didn't cover last week. And that is our Haftarah last week was Isaiah chapter 6, which is certainly one of the great moments in the Bible. It is where Isaiah receives this glorious vision of God. He is in his temple, and it says, the train of his robe filled the temple with... and there are uh, there's a vision of the uh, angels the the uh, seraphim are flying around uh, and they are crying out one to another this this verse that resounds throughout uh, scripture and all the way to uh, the book of revelation holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory you know just this magnificent statement uh, upholding the holiness and the uniqueness of God. I think last week we talked about uh, a definition of glory that I had heard, and I want to repeat that again, that uh, the whole earth is full of his glory. What is glory? Glory is the inward reality and the external manifestation of God's greatness. And so what he's saying is when we look around us on the earth, wherever we look, we should have the spiritual eyes that see glory, that see the greatness of God. And isn't that really the condemnation in Romans chapter 1, that they failed to see the greatness of God in creation That's right. and began to worship the creation instead of the creator? So here's this glorious, glorious verse. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and I can't resist uh, growing up with the Hebrew of saying kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. You know, just this, this, this great, great vision. What I want to do, though, is suggest that the new covenant 
authors see Yeshua in this. Because when we go to John chapter 12, this is a, a, a really important chapter in the Gospel of John. It is the place where the ministry of Jesus has been all wrapped up. Uh, Lazarus has been raised. They have committed, the Sanhedrin and, the, and the, the, the Jewish leadership has committed to the death of Yeshua at this point. And John chapter 12 talks about preparing really for what comes next, which is the death and resurrection. So John chapter 12 is kind of like this hinge chapter in the gospel. And listen to what John says in chapter 12. Um, <clears throat> Jesus had just finished talking about uh, the Son of Man must be lifted up, and he, he encourages people, walk in the light. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, this is verse 36 of chapter 12, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who's believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. What John has done is he has taken the commissioning of Isaiah and he's assigned it to Yeshua. Because after that glorious vision, this is where God tells him, I am sending you to a people with ears that don't hear, mm -hmm. eyes that don't see, hearts that will not believe. And you will go and you will talk to them and they will not hear you. So this is exactly what John has done, is he has taken that uh, commissioning of Isaiah and he is saying this is what Yeshua experienced. He went to his people, but they did not have ears to hear eyes that he see or hearts that would believe. Then listen to what he says. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. What John is saying here is that the glory that Isaiah saw was the glory of Yeshua. Mm -hmm. And it's the glory of Yeshua that John has had an opportunity to witness himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. That glory that Isaiah saw was Yeshua, because I've seen his glory. Mm -hmm. Isn't that magnificent? Yes. Just so powerful to see and, that. And, and it is sort of when you, if you were to read those two stories, Isaiah, uh, observation of the glory of God mm -hmm. and the story of the transfiguration, it is blinding glory. Mm -hmm. and, and it's sort of what Moses experienced on Mount Sinai too, blinding glory. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, yes. And um... so, so it's a good place to sort of jump into uh, our current, because that was last week's right. tour, and our current portion is Mishpatim, which is the ordinances. And 
So, you know, we at the end of Exodus 20 last week, which was the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, which, you know, are sort of grouped into the one, the first tablet, which is our relationship with God and then our relationship with our neighbor, right? Thou mm-hmm. shalt not murder, mm-hmm. thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And, you know, Jesus said, well, what are the two greatest commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. Love thy neighbors thyself. So it's sort of like the across the top of these two tablets, right? And so, you know, mishpatim are the derivative ordinances and laws that come into, you know, how do we manage our culture when there's a dispute or a need for a law, the, as it were, Jethro set up sort of the court system, and here we're sort of getting the common law mm-hmm. set up, and it's derivative from these laws of the mm-hmm. Ten Commandments. But the interesting thing that goes back to what you're saying is if they could understand, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they might not look with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. It's almost like if we had the understanding that he wanted us to have with our hearts, my question is, would these derivative laws and principles be obvious? Would we need them written down or would we be able to judge with our hearts as we work through, you know, these laws? So I think it's a good place to sort of, for us to start because, you know, the Old Testament gives us a lot of these rules. And then Jesus, because our New Testament portion is from the Sermon on the Mount this week and, you know, about, mm-hmm. you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, right? He says, but, and hate your enemies. Well, I, I'm going to mess it up what he says, <laughs> but we'll get to it. <laughs> this passage also, uh, besides the Mishpatim, and that is Hebrew for uh, ordinances or the, uh, the uh, judgments, the justice issues that you need to, take, you need to address, uh, I did want to have Bob maybe talk okay. a little bit about uh, chapter 24 before we go backwards to actually talking about the Mishpatim. After <clears throat> all of these various ordinances are laid out for Moses, um, it says in chapter 24, uh, God invites... Of Exodus, right? I'm sorry, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Exodus 24. Uh, God invites Moses and uh, Aaron and Aaron's... Uh, sons and 70 elders to come back up the mountain and worship. And uh, this has a, a strong covenant yes. uh, significance to it. And I wanted Bob to maybe talk about uh, some of that stuff because that's kind of in your wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, uh, let me back up just a little bit. On uh, Last week we covered the Ten Commandments, but when Israel, to about two and a half million people going through the desert, about three months in the desert, they come to this and then God uh, issues the Ten Commandments. He bellows the voice, and they, they hear it. And then um, uh, the people's reaction, they see this, and, and God's purpose was to put a fear of God in them for obedience. 
And then Moses issues additional laws, what we call the ordinances. On chapter 21, it talks about laws about slaves and then laws about personal injury. Then it goes on to says laws about theft, laws about seduction, capital offenses, laws protecting the vulnerable, uh, laws about personal injury, crop protection, laws about honesty and justice. So these these laws that he's talking about, they, you can read them in about 45 minutes to an hour. So this is a marriage ceremony that we're talking about here. So this is what, out of the whole book, I mean, God starts off maybe talking about 15 to 17 people before this, that is, he makes mention. But this is God's introducing himself to about two and a half million Jews and others of who he is. But not only does he describe who he is, but he's just describing his laws, his righteousness on mm-hmm. those Ten Commandments and what he requires. So these laws are, are very important. And then the important part about this covenant is it's a marriage. You know, in Jeremiah 31, 32, he talks about this being a marriage. In one translation, I become his, their husband. Another translation is that I married them. Mm-hmm. So, and the rest of the Old Testament all is focused on this event. God is always bringing them back to this marriage covenant. And then on, uh, on 24, he took the covenant scroll and read it out loud to the people. And then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. And this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made for you concerning these words. And the people just, on, on, just above that says, we will do and obey everything the Lord has commanded. So this is the oath. And think about your own marriage. I mean, you have two sets of people, the bride and the groom, and all the relatives of both, they come together. But the most important thing of a marriage, it isn't the people coming together. It's not the, the party afterwards. It's the oath being exchanged between the two parties. That's what forms the relationship. So this is, this is the such important part. So if you know this and what this event means, the rest of the Bible takes you back to here to this covenant marriage. So anyway, I thought this mm-hmm. was, I think it's, it's just an ex- exciting part. And then you want to make mention about the, the elders coming up to meet God himself. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I thought that you wanted to yeah. comment and, uh, on some this of is, as well. This is important because God is also bringing you know, Moses and these 70 elders so they can see him. So they can, he, he's introducing himself to him. They eat dinner with him, and these are the... the, the um, these are the instructions and the commandments that are given to that, that group of people. It must have, and he describes, the, the elders describe what they saw. And it must have been incredible to have visited God, had dinner with him, and see him face to face. And it, and it says in uh, 2417, which is almost the last chapter, I mean, verse of the Torah portion, it says, and the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. So that's a good, mm. a good verse to indicate what that definition of glory is, the external manifestation of God's greatness. I mean, here it is, just devouring fire on top of the mountain. Yeah, I like this verse uh, in verse 9 of 24. Uh, when they go up the mountain, it's verse 10, they saw the God of Israel. There's this picture here uh, of God's presence under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. 
if that doesn't, as new covenant followers, take us to the description of the eternal city at the end of Revelation, yes, right? Just that, wow, that's, it's always been that way, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. In other words, God is, 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 is holding back, you know, mm -hmm. keeping his, his greatness from overpowering them, right? Uh, that they may be able to be in his presence and eat and drink. What is eating and drinking? It is fellowshipping. It is communing together. It is establishing relationship and intimacy. That's the invitation that uh, is in eating and drinking together. And you see that in so many places throughout the scripture. And then, of course, it's culminated for us in the Last Supper and the institution of the Lord's table. And, and I think that the covenantal relationship that's consummated here is summed up in 24-7 or 6 through 8 because it's important for where we ended up last week, which we were talking about <clears throat> Hebrews and the sprinkling of the blood mm -hmm. of Yeshua, how much more <clears throat> powerful than the blood of Abel. And we talked about how the blood of Yeshua is the blood of forgiveness and the blood of Abel and is how Spurgeon compared the blood of Yeshua, the blood of forgiveness to the blood of Abel, the blood of vengeance, and how much more powerful in a transforming way in our hearts that forgiveness is versus vengeance. And mm -hmm. vengeance, retaliation, the, the lex talionis, the law of measures that we're gonna get to in a little bit here, but Listen to what happened to the blood here. And, and Moses took half of the blood. So, so, and he sent the young men and the children of Israel offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings of oxen on the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he dashed against the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and obey. And Moses, Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you in agreement with all these words. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. But also, in, in, in subsequent, and in, in the prophets, uh, God says that I, he was raised his right hand in the NIV during this oath that was taken. So they're, they're husband and wife. Mm -hmm. they, they're the... And, and it's conditional covenant, just, just like a husband and wife covenant would be. Right, because it says right there that we will do and obey. That's what it says. <laughs> well, maybe we can work backwards from here towards the beginning of Mishpatim, because just prior to, to uh, chapter 24, uh, towards the well, at the end of 23, after the Mishpatim have all been been uh, laid out, uh, God talks to them about coming into the promised land. Uh, in chapter 23, He says, uh, verse 20, "I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you on the way to bring you in. Pay careful attention to him." The word angel uh, is the same word that is messenger. Uh, I will send this angel. Uh, and you have to listen to him. It's capitalized. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, we're talking about the angel of the Lord here, which is understood uh, by most new covenant people as a pre-incarnate 
appearance of Yeshua. Yes. Right? So I'm sending this angel, my angel, uh, pay careful attention to him, obey his voice, don't rebel, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Again, there's that, that same idea that Yeshua ran up against. Remember uh, when they lowered the man through the roof? Mm -hmm. And the Pharisees are all perturbed because Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. They say, well, who can forgive sins but God? Well, here it is right <laughs> here in the Old Covenant. There is somebody in God's name, this angel, the angel of the Lord, who is in the position of being able to pardon or not pardon transgression, right? Right. What do you, what do you think it means for my name, capital M, my name is in him? Mm hmm some I mean, you've some. spoken about the power of the name, so of of he and he's saying my name. God's saying my a lot name. A lot of people so. believe it's Yeshua, do they not? Yes, absolutely. That this and, and it's the same same way that when Yeshua says I am in the garden, they all fall backwards because right. the name is is in him. I mean, he is the name, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and we have to remember that Revelation is a, a, a continuum. Right. And so this is kind of the beginning of that strand of thinking. Uh, that can't all be encompassed here, but it comes to its fruition, its fullness, when Yeshua is everything, all, all this is about, is now embodied before them, right? Right. But, I mean, here's an idea that they could have recognized at that moment when Yeshua said, I, your sins are forgiven. And somebody could have said, hmm, this sounds a lot like Exodus 23. Right. Right? right. Somebody could have said that. Mm -hmm. But if you carefully obey his voice, do all that I say, then I'll be an enemy to your enemies. Anyway, he goes on and he talks about um, <clears throat> how they'll go into the land um, You'll not serve their gods, but you will utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Verse 24, you shall serve Hashem, your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, take sickness away, etc., etc., etc. He concludes this portion with this strong idea then. Uh, <clears throat> and I think this is a good word for us as followers of Yeshua, uh, that we are still in battle. <laughs> God does not give us complete victory the moment that we accept Yeshua as our Savior. Mm -hmm. Verse 30, little by little, I'll drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. So little by little, we are advancing in our holiness as we follow Jesus, as we learn to die to self, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he talks about borders, which is an interesting topic these days. Look at the size of the border here. From the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates, that's everything that we consider today from uh, the Mediterranean all the way to Iran. It's big. <laughs> right? Yes. yes. So I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. And here is the punchline leading into the marriage ceremony that we just talked about. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. Why? Because you're about to make a covenant with me. That's right. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And so that's really uh, the foundation for some of what we hear about in the new covenant. You know, be in the world, but not of the world. 
Paul quotes uh, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, that's 1 Corinthians, uh, in 2 Corinthians, still an issue, he says to them, he quotes Old, old Covenant material, he says, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, right? So that there is a call to us. They live in the midst of nations around them who do have their gods, but you can't have their gods in your midst. And just like us then, we are in the world. We can't have their gods in our midst, but we live in the world. Mm -hmm. And we recognize that there are the world's gods and there is our God, and we're called not to mix the two. Yes. Right? In fact, when they go to conquer other countries, they're supposed to tear down any altars, destroy the high places, any, any vestiges at all of other gods. Right. And that's, that's one of the issues, orders there. So I'm glad we kind of did it this way because when it opens at Mishpatim, now here are the judgments, or here are the ordinances, this is where it's all leading. Right. So I'm glad we started with the culmination. And we can kind of go back and touch now on just what this idea is. One of the things that uh, is notable, I think, and Lee, you sort of uh, mentioned this already, that these are kind of the outflow from the Ten Commandments. These are, these are the things, the implications of what those principles lay out. This is, this is the Ten Commandments in daily life, right? right. This, this, so the scripture actually ties those together in this way. In Hebrew, uh, verse 26 of chapter 20, or that part there is about the altar and then um, how to uh, worship at the altar, uh, what the priests could or could not do, about stones, about ramps, about walking up and down and not exposing themselves. This, this is, you know, in some ways, people might want to call this a religious discussion, and then these ordinances here would be the mundane or secular things that we have to deal with. But in this Hebrew idea, there's no division. Mm -hmm. We move from the quote-unquote religious right into the everyday, and they are of the same piece. And the Hebrew indicates it uh, because the first verse of Chapter 21 begins with the Hebrew construction vav, which is a, a uh, letter in the alphabet that, uh, when used in language, is the word and. <laughs> and. <laughs> so I'm talking about the altar, and here are the ordinances that go along with it. So that there is no... Uh, spiritual secular division in serving God. There is no, okay, and we talk about it a lot, there's, there's no going to church on Sunday and Monday I can do whatever I want. It is God's way all the time. It's God's world and we're just living in it. Right? And, and, and I, I think that's a, a really good place for us to jump off into how does that apply to us walking in the world, right? Because it really is about the condition of our heart. You know, we've been through this, you know, in the beginning of Exodus, how Pharaoh makes his own heart hard or God makes his heart hard. And, and he's really, then he, they come out of bondage where, 
They were a culture that was responding to Pharaoh's rules. Now, here they are, they're wandering around the desert. What did you say, two million people? Yes. Wandering around the desert, they have no rules. And now they're given these rules that are to reflect God's rules. So, you know, what's really in the essence here is God setting up, you know, laws, this is how you construct a society that will function that's not an anarchy or not a oligarchy or a monarchy, you know. Well, we could look at it that way, but really what you're saying, there's no separation of the altar and the everyday affairs. So he's really saying, I think this is about the condition of your heart and this is, you know, the outward manifestations if you love your neighbor as yourself, mm -hmm. how it would look. And, you know, we've talked about so many times how Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is really about, in a way, denying yourself. And I think it's a good place for us to read the New Testament passage that goes with Mishpatim, because we, we talked sort of last week about, you know, how it was a hard thing to hear for the apostles when they were saying, this is my body and my flesh, my flesh and my body and my blood, you know, drink, drink my, eat my flesh and drink my blood, then how that would be hard for a Jewish person. And I read this this week and thought, well, no, and they said, whoa, that's a hard thing for us to hear, right, mm -hmm. last week. And I read this this week and go, wow, this is a hard thing yeah. for me to hear because this is about the condition of my heart. Before you read that, let's just take the Old Covenant word and uh, the context for it, and then uh, we can hear what Yeshua has to say about it. Um, <clears throat> so Mishpatim opens with how do you treat slaves, which is appropriate since the Hebrew people have just come out of slavery. But once they finish that conversation, then they get into um, dealing with uh, quarrels if somebody is uh, fighting together and they hit a pregnant woman. Uh, it talks about the judges will determine uh, the, the appropriate fines. Uh, verse 23 of 21 then says, if there's harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So there's this issue of justice that's involved, uh, what we would call appropriate punishment, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what Some people think this is a terrible word, but in fact it was a moderating word to keep people from taking the law into their own hands and exacting some sort of revenge that far exceeds the damage that they actually suffered. Mm -hmm. Notice also that judges are involved. People are not to take this upon themselves. And the judge will determine what is justice. That's really what this is about, justice. Right. What is the righteous, truly fair settlement to this particular situation. And so if you have put out somebody's eye, then you only have to pay an eye. If you put out 
somebody's knock out somebody's tooth and you only pay a tooth, life for life. Now in the commentaries, in the Jewish rabbinic commentaries, uh, this was never carried out at the physical level that there was always a price determined for the loss and it was only paid monetarily. Mm -hmm. But the point was if you lose an eye, it's, the, the, the settlement is, is worth this much, okay? And so again, the idea is to limit the individual person's natural desire for vengeance, right? Right, right. To, that, get, re to get revenge. That, and so, so that's where Yeshua picks this whole thing up, I think. Right, and, and you know, I think he is picking up our natural desire. Mm -hmm. So he's contrasting, you know, what we call the, 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 the nature of the flesh, right? The flesh nature versus our spiritual nature. <coughs> and, and he says in, in uh, Matthew 5, 38, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. So let's just stop there. We'll just take that <laughs> those two verses because my natural tendency, and I'm sure yours and others, we won't demonstrate it on TV here, <laughs> is that if I you know, smack you on the right side, you're not going to turn the other also, right? We, we react. We're we, we haven't arrived yet. <laughs> right. We, our reaction in, in the flesh to that sort of provocation is a desire for revenge, retaliation. But what is he saying? He's calling us to not react and want revenge. He's calling us to turn the other cheek, to, to not react from the flesh, but to react in the spirit and not to retaliate a measure for a measure. And <clears throat> what do we need? He's saying... Not what do you desire, revenge, but what do you need? And I think he's, he's saying here <clears throat> that we need, because he says, later on he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he's really calling us to deny ourselves. When he says, turn the other cheek, how do I have the self, I don't have the self-control to do that. And I don't have that fruit of the spirit, which is that sort of self-control. I don't have the fruit of the spirit of the patience and the kindness and the goodness to be able to react in a way that he's saying, 
that if I'm living in the spirit, not responding to the flesh, I could be, and I need the Holy Spirit to change me inside of me, to conform me to that, what, what Christ is calling me to do there, to deny myself, take mm -hmm. up my cross. Okay, so I got smacked on one cheek, you know? Oh, so my enemy hates me. I need to love them. Yeah, I can't do that. He's calling me to rise above the ordinances and to be transformed in my heart. So let's remember that this is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's talking to uh, his followers about uh, what it means to be a participant in the kingdom of God. And... <clears throat> The qualification that he says at one point is your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees in order to see the kingdom of God, right? And what he's really laying out here is you need to be like me. He, he sums it up here in, in, at the end of five, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, those things are clearly impossible in our flesh, on our own. We're never going to do that. And that's what gives the lie to people who say Jesus came to be our example. Well, if that's the case, then I might as well chalk it up now and say, <laughs> can't do that, right? But no, yes, in a way, he came to be our example after we become his followers. But first he had to come to be the sacrifice for our sins that reconciled us to God because without that... Just trying to follow Jesus' example is going to lead us to failure and frustration, right? Failure and frustration. But by the power of the Spirit who comes to live within us, right. now we have the example to follow. What is that great line that our friend Joe loves about uh, he's torn a hole in the wall and, and uh, we're to follow our captain through it? Mm. That's where the example of Jesus comes in, is now that we know him and love him, and desire to serve him, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, follow his example. And when we fail, we are blessed enough, right, to have an advocate with the Father, whoever lives to make intercession for us, our very own Savior, mm -hmm. who says, all I want you to do is be honest. If you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But here in this section, think about it. What he's asking us to do is lay down our lives for our enemies. Right. God proves his love for us, Romans 5.8. How? In this fact, Yeshua died for his enemies. He had done no wrong, yet he did not lift his voice in self-defense. He had committed no crimes, yet he allowed himself to be hung on a cross. And he says to you and to me, will you suffer this slight? And, and you know, you, you see now the meaning of this Ephesians 2 passage, how the laws and the ordinances create a dividing wall because... You know, you can read these laws and ordinances, you can memorize them, you can follow them, and your heart can still be that if you smack me on the cheek, I'm not turning the other cheek, right? right. Or I'm not going to love my enemies, right? And so, you know, 
the pride, the false pride that would come from following the laws and ordinances and, you know, doesn't mean that my heart is right and that, you know, I'm living in the spirit and that I still need a savior who pays for my sins, right? And who atones for for me mm-hmm. so that I can be in right relationship with God and receive the Holy Spirit who's working to change me inside, you know, to so that one day maybe when Bob, you smack me on the cheek, <laughs> yeah. I'll be able to turn the other cheek. <laughs> you know, I think it's so good. It says on here, go the second mile. Um, at the time it was written, uh, Roman occupied Israel. I mean, and they had, they were, the, the tension between the two was immense. And often the, the soldiers would abuse the, the Israelis. And they would say, you know, carry my pack this mile, carry it another mile. And, and the tension, you know, you don't pray for your enemies. You know, that's just a common thing you don't do. But Jesus is calling them to pray for your enemies, set an example to them. You know, so it's, it's, um, it's revolutionary to say the least. And, and he's saying that, you know, as it goes on in Ephesians 2 to say so that we can be one in the body of Christ because that's where the dwelling place for the Lord is being made when we're come together through him and through the cross. And, you know, he's saying well, you can't get there through laws and ordinances. No, 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 you certainly can't. I think it's important to point out, too, that this, this idea, don't resist the one who is evil, is happening at a personal level mm-hmm. because we clearly are called to resist evil in the world. I mean, that's what the whole abortion uh, controversy boils down to is we see it as an evil and we resist it. But this is at that personal level, one-on-one, the situations that Mishpatim is talking about when you're fellow neighbor does this, or this happens between you and you lend somebody something, you know, what, what is the uh, just thing to happen when something goes wrong between mm-hmm. individuals? And here he's saying, uh, don't get in a court battle about it. Suffer the laws. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not talking about resisting evil in the world. When we see evil uh, happening, and particularly when we see injustice, we are called to speak up for righteousness and justice. Yeah, in fact, uh, I was sharing with you guys that this was my tour portion when I was bar mitzvahed at age 13, mishpatim, mm-hmm. and I gave my my little sermon, you know, that you do right. on Exodus 23, verse 2, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou bear witness in a cause to turn aside after multitude to pervert justice. So, you know, we are, we're called not to follow a multitude to do evil. Right. So that goes with what you're saying about in the world. But yeah, how in my, inside myself do I deny myself enough that I don't have to be right? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? Or am I going to take it to court and go, look what the, jo- what, look what the laws say? <laughs> I wish I had marked it out, um, but there's something that I read in the Torah or one of the prophets in the last couple of days that exactly talked about not going outside of the 
Jewish justice system to uh, find justice, right? That, oh, I think it was in the commentary, uh, that it is a shanda, a shame, uh, to admit then by your actions that the justice system that came from God is not good enough to handle real justice within the community. Hmm. And that is the same idea that Paul picks up in Corinthians when he talks to them about what a shame it is for them to go outside the church to deal with legal matters. He says, don't you know that we're going to judge angels? Wow. Right? So there's that same, same idea that justice, if God is, is, is just and the author, uh, the source of justice, then the place that we should find the greatest justice is within the house of God, right? right. Yeah, I, I think it comes from the principle, the first principle of you know, because these are, like we talked about, this follows right after the Ten Commandments and their derivatives, mm -hmm. but it comes from the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. Have no other gods bef before me, beside mm -hmm. me. You know, I'm it. And he says in, in Exodus 22, 26, it seems like a small thing. He's In 25 it says... If thou at all take thy neighbor's garment to pledge, thou shalt restore it unto him by that the sun goeth down, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And then shall it come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious. And I think that is the whole principle that God is saying about his justice. He is merciful mm -hmm. and gracious, right? We're going to see that in Exodus 34 when he tells us who he is. Right. Yeah. Right. So. And I, I'm sh this, this is another one of those passages that is in Yeshua's mind because he talks about if somebody asks for your coat, give him your tunic too. It's got to be all right here. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And what, what, as you bring out, what is the ultimate controlling factor? I am compassionate. Right. We have that line, uh, mercy is greater than judgment, right? And so, so there's all of these, these rules, if you will, but their goal is not to, uh, maybe I started that off wrong, their goal is simply that real justice is carried out. What is the absolutely fair and godly thing in God's sight to do? And these are principles then for us because we don't live in this society where these things sort of take place. But again, Yeshua gives us something to look at in the context of following him when we read the Sermon on the Mount and how we deal justly with people. And what he's suggesting is sometimes we need to suffer the injustice mm -hmm. because what does he, how does he teach us to pray in this same sermon, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, right? And his, you know, the ultimate expression of God's grace, you know, and mercy is through Yeshua as our, as payment for our sins. And so 
if we, if we want to accept grace, it requires us to learn to be gracious. And I think ultimately that's what he's saying here, mm -hmm. you know. You wouldn't need all these specific rules. You might if it's confusing, but if you look in your heart and you ask what is the gracious thing to do, what would Yeshua do in this, you know? <clears throat> Would you say that justice is true, or, or true justice is is a grace, though? True. What? What do you? What do you? Well, asking? I guess you know that, that's one of the things that God requires of us to do justice. Right. Right. And here is a whole set mm. of of laws, ordinances that have the goal of bringing about justice in any given situation. But isn't that a grace too? I mean, it restrains people from overstepping justice. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the, you know, God clearly has boundaries, right? I mean, we talked about that at, at Sinai. I mm -hmm. mean, there are boundaries, right? So, I mean, I think it's important that the, there are codifications of specific instances where people cross a line that we get to see and mm -hmm. what justice is. But I think for us to have a heart of justice really is about, am I looking at it from my point of view, myself? What's justice for me? Mm -hmm. Or what is, you know, grace? And this whole idea that someone would slap you on the side of the face, punch you on the side of the face, and you'd turn your other cheek. Mm -hmm. You know, what's that really saying? It's saying, if I react, which is my natural flesh to react, then, you know, it becomes about him and me. We're in a fight. But if I turn my other cheek, then it's all about him. Mm -hmm. I'm like heaping coals on him, right? Yeah. He's got to deal with what in his heart is you know, frustrated desire, anger, desire that's out, not in alignment with God's will that's leading him to punch me in the cheek. Yeah, it points to the maliciousness of the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. It really does. This is, this is what you did. And I mean, if you don't respond, how else? That's the only thing he can focus on at that point. Right? And that, isn't that ultimately the goal of justice? To, <laughs> it's, is it to get... An eye for an eye, the the what's it, the lex talionis, mm -hmm. the law of measures, mm -hmm. or is it really to say, you know, hey, take a look at yourself and what's God telling you here? Right. Yeah, you know? I would say the goal of all of justice in God's eyes is to restore shalom, right? Yeah. To bring things together to their proper state. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so uh, we were talking about shalom. 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 So I think that... Fruit of the Spirit, yeah. right? Shalom. Shalom. Peace. Um, that, what do you think of, of this idea? So we're to seek justice for others, but extend grace in our own circumstance. Instead of demanding justice for ourselves, we offer grace instead, but we are to seek justice for 
others when we see injustice. What do you think of mm. that? Hmm. You know, it's easier to extend grace to the people you love. You know, that's... <laughs> Jesus said it's, so. It's, it's, it said so right here. <laughs> but, but how, it's, it's much more difficult to extend grace when somebody doesn't like you or your enemy. But Jesus says, do this. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, he sets a high bar that, that at least the bar we know has been set. So that's what we, I think we strive for. But again, it's, it's our flesh that we deal with. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think, you know, the, if, you, if you look at these, the compare and contrast of the law of a measure for a measure, the lex talionis, which is interesting because the word retaliate comes from that, right? Right. And, uh, but if you look at that versus the law of grace, you know, how grace really is a much more transforming process in the world because revenge and vengeance just breeds more vengeance and hostility. It won't ever There's bring nothing God's, that breaks the cycle. Yeah, it won't bring God's kingdom on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, right? Right. You just have the Hatfields and the McCoys. <laughs> yep. So I was thinking about that whole idea of grace and justice. You know, God brings us grace in the offering of his son, but Paul talks about justice is still done because the sin issue, which was at the root of it all, is not painted over, but it is strongly dealt with in the death of Yeshua so that, how, how does Paul put it? So that God may be just as well as the justifier of those who put their faith in Yeshua so that grace is a justice, is a working out of justice at the, at the most cosmic level, if you will, right? right? Right, Well, I mean, you know, God, back all the way in Genesis, God saw that the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts of man was only evil continually. What's he do? He floods the earth and mm -hmm. destroys. And then at the end of the flood, he goes, well, you know, that didn't change men's hearts. No. They're still evil from their youth. And so his nature is merciful and loving, right? He tells us what his nature is. So, of course, he's going to be forgiving and holding us to account. Mm -hmm. So I think, you, I think, you know, that you're right that grace is does mercy triumphs over judgment, and yet judgment and justice are his way of conforming us and changing us, right? It is a manifestation of his grace. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think so. As Abraham said, shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? Right? So... <clears throat> Paul kind of deals with this same topic, uh, if we could uh, turn real quickly to Romans chapter 12. Uh, he's talking about, in, in my, my Bible, this section is called Marks of the True Christian in Romans chapter 12. After uh, the beginning of Romans 12, where he calls us to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices, he's talking here about how we now live. Uh, let love be genuine, in verse 9, abhor what's evil, hold fast to what is good, 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So that's a whole long list of uh, imitating Jesus right there. But this is the part that really dovetails with what we've been looking at, beginning in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So again, if somebody smacks you on the cheek, what's going to promote peace? Hitting him back? No. As far as is possible with you, do what promotes peace. Yeah. So, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do we have enough faith when I suffer an injustice that God is going to make it right, that justice will prevail in the end, and I don't need to take justice and vengeance into my hands. That's a faith issue. It's a hard issue, it is a faith as you've issue. said so many times. But you know, times. If, you, if you live long enough, you'll see the vengeance. So you're, you're saying in, in a meta bar, some guy comes up and punches me in the face. What are you doing in a bar? Well, okay, all right. So some, somewhere some guy comes up and punches me in the faith, face, and so right there, it's a faith issue. Do I turn the other cheek or do I punch him back? I, I think it's a self-control issue. And I don't know how I work on myself to have that level of self-control. Yeah. Well, I want to... Uh, or is that, yeah. maybe I can't do that myself. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit that changes me because I can't, I'm right, not sure in the moment, I can do that. Sure. I think we're in a place where, where there might be some nuance that uh, we don't have time to talk about. <laughs> and I don't mean to do, dodge that one, uh, but I want, I want to wrap this up. Uh, it, it talks about ultimately our times, our hands, our events, our circumstances are in the hand of God. We need to entrust ourselves to a good, holy, righteous, and just yes. God. Amen. So as we wrap up, I want to encourage our listeners to consider uh, all the good that God has done for you in Yeshua. Some of you already know him as your Savior. You're following him as, uh, <clears throat> by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're experiencing the goodness of God in your life. But others of you are listening, and you perhaps have never come to that place of trusting in Yeshua. And I want to take a moment here at the end just to invite you to pray along with me. If you've become uh, sure that you have offended God through word, uh, thought, or deed, uh, that's called sin. And sin separates you from God. If you have come to that place of feeling that separation, of feeling apart from God, please understand that God sent Yeshua to bring you together, to reconcile you to himself. And if you want to be reconciled to God, would you just take a moment here at the end and pray with me? Father in heaven, I understand and know without a doubt that I am a sinner. And I'm tired of being separated from you because of it. I see that you sent Yeshua, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin. 
And I ask you now, because of what he has done, that you will forgive me, for he's taken my sins and he has paid my penalty. I ask you to not only forgive me, but to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And you'll give the Holy Spirit to me that I may live a life that honors you and pleases you. I ask you for all of your favor and all of your grace in the name of Yeshua, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you contact us at Facebook, uh, One New Man Ministries International, let us know. And we're so glad you were with us today and uh, hope you'll be with us again next time. God bless.